and welcome to episode 47 of the Retrospectives podcast. My name is Patrick Arthur and I'm joined as always by my co-host James Sterlings and this fortnight we played Thief 2. How you going James? You ready to talk about this sneaky sequel? Yeah, I only just finished the game a couple of hours ago, uh, cutting it a bit tight there, but uh, you know, Thief always uh, gets there in the end. <laughs> that um that makes a lot of sense cuz that last mission as we will go into later is a complete and utter bitch, but uh, yeah. I'm sure <laughs> there's lots to discuss there. Uh, we are the Retrospectors podcast. Each and every fortnight, James and I play through a classic game of the past from start to finish. We uh, And then we have an in-depth discussion review of it to see if it has truly stood the test of time. We're not interested in how good these games were at the time in which they were released. All we want to know is, are they fun to play today? Are they true classics that you should spend your weekend playing alongside the AAA releases that seem to get released all the time? We are, as I alluded to, doing Thief 2. In a lot of ways, this is a very special episode. Yes. We are... Over our time doing this podcast, and it's getting close to two years now, we haven't ever really done a true sequel like this. Uh, the closest we've done is after doing Symphony of the Night, we went back t- 10 years and did the original Castlevania, but we've never really done the next iteration in a series, despite our uh, Many fans wanting us to continue onwards. We always thought diversity was the best approach. But after doing Thief 1, I've been wanting to do Thief 2 desperately all this time. And finally, we found a window in which we could do it. You were very high on Thief 1, right? I was. And actually, that's something I wanted to cover before we even get into the meat of the episode. Because something that has happened to me and something that I've noticed that has happened to me as we've played these classic games over time is that your opinion on the day of the podcast, your opinion while playing the game and your opinion on reflection six months later can change completely. Very different. Sometimes... Yeah, sometimes better, sometimes worse, and sometimes it stays the same. So before we even get into the meat and potatoes of reviewing and discussing Thief 2, I think it's of value for you and I to talk about where we stand with Thief 1. So James, with Thief 1, how Mm. do you feel about it now? Because at the time, I think you were overall positive but not nearly as positive as i was so i went back through the list of levels of thief one recently and i counted the ones that i remember enjoying versus the ones i did not and actually even though i gave thief a recommend at the time i only enjoyed six of its 15 levels and you know when i think back on thief one and think about you know if I was to go back now and to play it, I feel this resistance, like I really wouldn't want to go back and play the first game, if I was to be honest. Like, there were some great levels, like the sword and, um, was it the one with the opera house uh, was excellent as uh, well? Song, Song of, Song the of Caverns. Caverns, that's it, yeah. But overall, I think there were too many, you know, gimmicky levels, like Down in the Bone Horde and The Lost City, which I really didn't like. Um, and I thought took away from, you know, the good core gameplay that these other levels, you know, took advantage of. See, it's weird for me because I kind of almost have had 
the opposite impression. Because when I played Thief 1, like you, I was very down on those more monster-centric missions. But now, when I think back upon it, those missions where you're exploring these big cave-like structures, you know, tomb robbing, essentially, I actually enjoy them more than I used to. Down in the Bone Horde, the one that you said you hate, when I actually think back on that whole gradual descent you make through through the tombs and then into these um, dilapidated caves down into the tombs far below those caves, it's quite cool that you were um, descending so deep to rob artifacts and out again. Very uh, Indiana Jones-like. Mm. Uh, the missions that I'm kind of like more ambivalent about are, are missions like the Mages Guild one, which was a very kind of symmetrical and fairly linear yeah i didn't like that one either i think my least favorite levels are probably the ones at the cathedral the big sprawling levels with all the zombies i really did not like that at all you know there's no stealth in those levels that's why we're playing these games right yeah i think the thing that bugged me was that i found that agility and moving quickly past zombies was more effective than trying to stealth yes exactly however the process of exploring these levels particularly like the more tomb-like ones is what attracted me to them so i'm a bit higher on them because i value the exploration so highly even if the stealth mechanics are kind of weak on those sort of levels yeah so overall i've fallen down on thief since we did the episode um and you've gone up a bit even if that's even possible yes i think i have although the things i kind of value the exploration really highly i'm very high on kind of environmental storytelling and exploring i Mm. guess right now so so maybe that's what it is um so yeah that's that's how we think about thief um i'm overall quite high and james is a bit low so it'll be interesting to see how we think about thief 2 so with this episode because because this is our first kind of proper sequel episode the way we're going to approach it is a little different to all the episodes we've done in all the other episodes we did we spend a long time explaining the basic mechanics behind a game so people who aren't really familiar with it can can understand what we're talking about we're going to assume that if you're listening to this, that you've listened to our Thief 1 episode because we don't want to get bogged down in explaining everything again. And we really want to focus on the changes and evolutions that Thief 2 has brought to the table and whether they're improvements or even drawbacks uh, in moving forward. Yeah, so I think um, um, Thief is a series. It's not one of those ones where you can kind of play it in any order. I would recommend that if you want to play Thief 2, that you would play thief one first and so you know our episode on that is definitely the place to start with this one yeah highly recommend you listen to our thief one episode um also as a i'll say it now so you have fair warning this will be full of spoilers we're going to be spoiling mechanics and story things and i think that there are a couple of moments in here which are very enjoyable to go into blind at least they're enjoyable for me so If you want to play these games, then play them before listening to this episode because we will be spoiling everything about these games. 
Uh, before we get into the meat of the episode, and we're just about to do it, I promise, just a couple of housekeeping things related to how we played these games. So I posted on Reddit and people helpfully pointed out that all I needed to get the game up and running was a simple fix called t2fix.exe, just like there was a t1fix.exe. So you just run this executable and it basically just has a bunch of bug and scripting fixes, which I'm very grateful for. Um, did you run into any issues once you'd had this installed, James, or did everything run smoothly for you? Everything just ran smoothly for me. So I had one issue um, on the very first mission when uh, you bring the um, the guy to rescue the girl. They just went inside the room and locked the door and then wouldn't come out no matter what I did. <laughs> so it was very bizarre. I had to restart the mission. Just, just some alone time there, Patrick. <laughs> well, I mean, that was the thing. They were consummating their marriage, clearly. I was very confused. I'm like, is this what's meant to happen? Are they meant to just chill there for five minutes? But uh, no, just, just a scripting error. So I reloaded that mission and wasted 20 minutes, but that was the only issue I had. So I guess that means it's time for us to dive right in. So the first thing we're going to be talking about with Thief 2 is the story. But before we can get into the main story thread, I'd like to spend a little bit of time introducing the kind of game game and setting that uh, Thief 2 is set in. So Thief 2 is a steampunk game, and this is something that I didn't even realize going into this game. It kind of came as a surprise to me. And I mean, for many people, that may seem ridiculous. But when I thought Thief 2 Rise of the Middle Age, I thought it was just the Hammerites had taken control uh, with their religious uh, zealotry building, uh, building factories. But no, it's well and truly steampunk. And steampunk is essentially a fantastical take on society, usually in Victorian era times, although that's by no means locked in, where steam and steam-powered inventions are the primary energy source instead of electricity. It kind of envisions many futuristic technologies through the lens of steam power. And um, it's usually set during an industrial revolution. It's a pretty big change from the original Thief, which is kind of like a blend of horror and high fantasy. So real, even though it is just, you know, the next sequel, the setting does feel dramatically different in, in some ways. Other ways to imagine steampunk for those who aren't familiar with it is that stuff like Jules Verne or um, Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials, or it's actually a common uh, theme in a lot of anime, like uh, Full Metal Alchemist or Howl's Moving Castle. Well, I mean, Thief 1 had a lot of that stuff throughout it, didn't it? It had a lot of these like uh, weird steam apparatuses and, you know, light fixtures and electricity around the place. I uh, didn't think the transition was that drastic. And in a lot of ways, I thought it made a lot of sense, especially when uh, I think Thief 2 does a really good job of justifying it um, in its world building and, you know, environmental storytelling. Yeah, I'd say that the significant difference for me is that while Thief 1 had elements of steampunk in its world, it, it feels real and world-impacting in a way that it didn't in Thief 1. In Thief 1, it was window dressing. In Thief 2, it's the central theme of what's yes. happening to the world. Yeah, because the core conceit of um, Thief 2 
is that the the religious sub-faction, the Hammerites, has kind of splintered off into two sub-factions. There are the more traditionalist, uh, you know, Hammerites who are, you know, as we remember, the followers of their god, the Builder, and their religion uh, involves, you know, uh, doing their best to make use of, you know, the tools they have at their disposable to build and to push uh, society forward. And here we have a, another the other splinter group, which is now the Mechanists, which is this group that's come along and it says, this isn't good enough. We need to be pushing society forward faster in a much harder direction. And so there's this splinter group that's come in and they've been inventing all of these, you know, these these robots and these uh you know all this steampunk technology that started to really you know uh find a firm foothold in the city and kind of change the landscape significantly yeah and the change is of course the fact that they have access to factories and they have access to industrial technologies that they can actually produce these things the steampunk aspect of it is that the things that they're producing, security cameras and autonomous robots, are, of course, far beyond what is possible even in our world in a lot of sense. So we've we've kind of transformed from a high fantasy, you know, horror society into this steampunk, heavily industrialized society where these incredible wonders of technology are being created. This steampunk society, it's not just there's technology, it's influenced society in a whole bunch of different ways. For example, one of the things that is very obvious as you play through the game is that pollution is on the rise. With all of these factories that have been built by the mechanists, things and wildlife isn't growing anymore. Um, There's no birds trilling anymore. There's no outside gardens. All of the rich people have moved their gardens inside because they would uh, they just wouldn't be able to grow outside in the suffering pollution. Um, beasts and zombies and monsters have been killed and removed from the city as the mechanists have expanded in that ongoing quest to get resources to build more and more things. And the pagans have been pushed to the outskirts of society because they're not part of the vision that the mechanists have. So the thing I really liked about the way they built this world is that they didn't just say, we're just going to chuck some steampunk technology in there. They actually put some thought into the consequences that would result in industrialization happening in the city. One of the things that stood out to me was just how well they did the world building here. Everything that has happened since, you know, the end of Thief 1 to the beginning of Thief 2 feels very natural. You know, once you get into a level and you start going through it and, you know, you're reading people's notes that they've left about the levels and you're listening to little conversations between people or the mechanists or the, uh, you know, the Hammerites of the traditional faction. Um, And everything that they've put into this game makes sense and there is a reason for it. Um, I think that the transition between the two games is very natural um, while also making it feel very distinct and I really like that. The one aspect of the world building that I think that they probably could have gone harder on that they didn't really touch upon was the lack of discussion or story consideration given to class. So the thing about steampunk games is that they usually take place during the Industrial Revolution. And one of the primary features of the Industrial Revolution was that 
people were pressed into work in these factories, right? They were, and their humanity was disregarded. They were barely considered human. And to some degree, it's okay because the people pushing for revolution and progress aren't greedy capitalists, they're religious zealots. But there are aspects which kind of almost get brushed aside and ignored, like the use of lower class people as being fodder for servants. But then that concept really isn't brought up again. I'm not saying every game needs to talk about class. Like I'm not saying every game needs to talk about Marxism. But when you have a game that's steampunk and your main character is a thief and the thief is robbing from nobility, I think that more time could have been spent on this aspect of uh, of steampunk and industrial revolution when it seems so relevant to the characters in this story. Yeah, I don't necessarily think that not sticking to genre conventions is a huge criticism here. I think that for the most part, everything works out okay. Um, although something that did kind of seem a bit weird to me you know, in these kinds of genres, usually the protagonist is somebody who's fighting for some kind of societal change or, you know, change in the class structure. And really, Garrett benefits a lot from maintaining the status quo here. Like, the uh, the massive wealth disparity shown in the city is to his advantage with uh, lots of high concentrations of stuff to steal in these, you know, rich people's houses. Like, does he actually, <laughs> does he actually want things to change? Well, I would say, broadly speaking, Garrett doesn't give a shit. Yeah. Uh, there's this book called The Lies of Locke Lamora. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it kind of has a similar sort of arc where you have a thief that's kind of pushed into a situation where he needs to save the city. And at the end of the day, the reason he saves the city isn't because he wants to be a hero. It's because he doesn't believe anyone else is able to do it. And if he does nothing, then everything will die. And even for someone who doesn't give a shit, the deaths of millions on your hands when you can do something about it is is just a little bit too far. Yes. And I think that's definitely the case here. I don't think Garrett is particularly rebelling against a cause or anything like that. There's none of those themes present in this story um, like they are, you know, in many other works. Um, and I think that he's kind of just, you know, here because he has to be in a lot of ways. Well, let's talk about the main story a bit now, because I think that this is where the game ends up being a little bit weaker yes. than... um than I was hoping for. So to summarize uh, the story and what happens in the story is that Garrett is a thief doing thiefy things. He um, messes with the police uh, because he gets a job from an anonymous person to frame someone for, you know, stealing. The police then mess with him. They catch one of the fences that he sells money to, rats him out. Uh, and it turns out that the problem they have with him is a personal one they're trying to stop him personally so he figures out the police are messing with him and he needs to stop them so he starts investigating these police to try and get them to stop and he comes up with a plan to blackmail blackmail the head of police with some incriminating evidence so they can finally leave him alone but shock horror out of nowhere the head police officer gets assassinated and so instead he switches his focus to investigating the person who's done the assassination. He finds out, shock horror, that it's the pagans and the evil Victoria, who was the woman who was the trickster god's 
personal aide that first laid you gave you you know the quest to steal the sword and you team up with her against the mechanists who are the ultimate big bad and garrett of course ultimately saves the day so it's a very sort of like bitty story where each missions hangs on the next and you kind of slowly unravel these things I think the story kind of falls apart a little bit when you start, I guess, investigating the person who killed the police officer, because honestly, the head of police dying should be great for you. And that really should be the end of Garrett investigating this whole situation. It should be, wow, I don't have to blackmail him because someone else has conveniently killed him. Now I can be left alone and get back to robbing. But instead, Garrett kind of gets led on into this broader conspiracy that I don't think he should really care about too much. Yeah, I mean, they are directly trying to kill him, right? Like, he's doing this to, you know, protect his well-being um, in the long term. I think that um, something, you know, I was doing a bit of, of looking into Thieves 2 development, um, and they kind of took this approach where they created all the levels and then put the story bits to tie them together. Um, and mm. I think that really shows in this game because a lot of the, I guess, the things tying one level from the next are a bit forced in a lot of situations. There's this, um, there's this section later in the game where you break into this headquarter of the mechanists of the the main villain and you get into his office and you play this recording that he's left there and the recording says hello garrett i knew you'd be here and then shortly after that you're like okay cool he knows i'm here and then you walk like a meter to the side and steal the secret documents that are still in the office, despite him knowing that you would be there. Like it makes no fucking sense, right? Yeah, those though it it feels like that there's just a bit of a disconnect between these things that are happening. And I just I just don't really believe that Garrett would necessarily do all of the ridiculous things he's doing. Yes, the mechanists are ultimately the ones who are trying to kill him, but I don't know if it's a proportional response for him to try, and sin to, try to single-handedly take down the mechanist faction all on his own. Uh, going into hiding or coming up with a different way to deal with the situation sounds a lot more likely. Moving cities, going somewhere else, <laughs> you know, finding a new place to, I don't know. It, I, I agree with you. It does seem a bit forced in a lot of ways. I think, I think by the time it gets to the end, I'm a believer, but there's just a bit in the middle where I'm not completely convinced. Yeah. So did you want to talk about, I guess the villains here, because this is what I, I this is what I really want to talk about sure. because to me, the best part of this game is the main villain, Karras, um, the leader of the Mechanists. Um, this game gives me this feeling... It almost feels like, um, I'm going to say, like Portal and Portal 2 in a sort of way, where mm -hmm. you have this antagonist who is present throughout the majority of the story, constantly, you know, hassling you and there and told to you through environmental storytelling. Karis, the leader of the Mechanist, is like this. He is a very big character who, you know, encompasses the majority of the experience. So, um... Early on, there's this level in this 
this monastery and you know you you're kind of sneaking about and you hear this this really loud noise so you hide in the shadows because you're a thief and suddenly this massive robot just walks past you and you're thinking like what the hell did i just see and you know for the next few levels you see these kinds of robots like patrolling the levels and you know you're kind of wondering what the hell is going on they're like they're like talking to themselves like the robots have this weird smeagol like voice that talks about like the greatness that is the builder and father Karis, and you kind of have no idea what's going on but you know the more you dig through the story and learn about you know the creators of this robot and just how important he is to the overall plot it's it's really really cool yeah i think that with Karis, i was a big fan of him up until he went kind of insane so Karis's arc is that he you know, he's he founds the mechanist and he wants to create progress, but he eventually gets to the stage where he thinks all, any and all organic life is evil and must be purged for the sanctity of metal and robots. And I think that that ultimately, even though it was a fine arc, someone going insane and wanting to kill everyone isn't as interesting as it could be. You read a couple of pages of Karis's scripture before you, you know, finish the game. And at first, it seemed like his vendetta was specifically against the nobles. Uh, you know, he writes about how they're greedy, evil nobles who have no concern for the city. And what I thought it was building up to was the really interesting situation where Karis would kill all the nobility and Garrett would have to decide whether he should stop Karis or not from doing it. The end result of, I just want to kill every single organism that lives in the city, probably hundreds of thousands of people, ended up being a little disappointed to, disappointing to me. I disagree, because I think they foreshadow this like halfway through the game. So, you know, ultimately, this is a game... Uh, centered around a religious faction and i personally love games that use a lot of religious symbolism and imagery in them because i mm -hmm. think that religion is a great vessel for art and it always transitions really well into video games and th that's true here for me um and something that happens you know halfway because karis is the leader of the mechanists and he's extremely zealous and he believes fully in the idea of his god the builder who you know wants to lead his people down this path of perfect creation and one of my favorite moments in the game takes place uh, probably about just over halfway through the game. Uh, you're in this level that's uh, this abandoned pirate's cove filled with all of these, you know, rotting wooden buildings. And you're sneaking through one of these wooden buildings and you hear this argument that takes place between one of the Hammerites, the traditional, you know, old faction, and one of the mechanists. And Ex-Hammerite. Ex Ex-Hammerite, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and they have this argument whether they should, like, fix the building or tear it down and put some glorious steel building there instead. And it really shows the kind of the clashing of the two doctrines, whether you should... Because it's kind of, like, analogous to, you know, self-improvement as a human, um, you know, whether you should just strive to be the best you can possibly be or to accept that you're a flawed being who needs to, you know, constantly fix and self-improve themselves. And this kind conversation i think really well set up 
Karis's like epiphany that he has near the end of the game where he realizes that you know humans are flawed creatures why not just tear it all down and put something that's inherently perfect in their place instead wouldn't that um satisfy my god much better than you know this flawed race so what's really interesting about that idea is it's actually a very normal cyberpunk idea uh because the idea of you know, humans being replaced by my machines is a huge theme in science fiction from the Matrix yes. to Hyperion, um, or humans subliming and becoming, you know, moving to a higher plane of existence, or humans melding with a machine god. That's a big thing in Deus Ex. The, the problem with it in, I guess, this kind of setting, in this steampunk setting, is that there, are, there aren't really... Uh, sentient computers there's only automatons so i think that Karis isn't just a visionary with crazy ideas or you know ideas with a lot of foresight that challenge people i think he's just completely fucking insane because his perfect world isn't one where a version of humanity exists or super intelligent robots exist it's where automatons patrol back and forth through corridors until the end of time. And that's mm. my problem with Karis. It's not all, I agree with you that all the stuff about Karis is interesting. It's just one step too far. It's, I, I like it when my villains, at least you can empathize with them somewhat. I think when someone moves to the, you know, to full on insanity, it just becomes a little bit less interesting. But his insanity is rooted in some twisted logic though, right? His his scripture and the way that he builds up the mechanist faction throughout the game logically leads to this conclusion, and because of that, I found it all right. Like you, I had a bit of a problem with the imperfect robots being, you know, yes. the future of the world. But halfway through the game, there is this one, like, very human-like robot the boy robot yeah that kind of jump scares you i think if they'd lent into those types of robots near the end of the game then it would have made it a, a lot more believable don't you think yes it, i think that it's a problem with execution probably i i think that yeah you he needs he needs something more than automatons and perhaps karis is the only human being left will be able to continue refining his automation process. Yeah, I mean, that's his plan, right? Yeah. Um, so I think the main thing about the character that I love um, is that in these kinds of games where you have this central villain who's with you throughout the entire experience, you know, Portal, for example, usually they're very in your face and they're talking directly to you, uh, you know, like Handsome Jack from Borderlands 2 even. But here, because you're Garrett, you're sneaking around, everything that, like, he's present, Karis is present throughout the entire experience, but you discover stuff about him through inference and reading things about him mm -hmm. and hearing stuff from his followers. It's not directly spoon-fed to you. Like, in the middle of the game, there's this section where Karis presents these, these servants to the nobles, and he says these servants will do whatever you want, and they do. And then you get close to one of these servants, and you can, like... 
you can hear it crying behind its mask. Like this is a this is an enslaved person trapped in some kind of nightmare, forced to be like a half robotic sentient servant for all time. Um, and it's quite horrifying. And you know, you kind of start to realize that Karis, he's a bit of a he's a bit of a he's a bit of a sociopath, right? <laughs> yeah. He's a, he's a weirdo. Um, um and and especially because the first time you hear the robots walking around and they're praising Karis and praising the build in that like weird Smeagol voice I initially assumed that the voice of the robots was like some weird programmed voice that he'd given to him but later in the game you hear a recording of Karis's voice and it's the same so you know when he was making these robots he was recording himself telling everyone that he's a great guy it's really it's really quite bizarre i don't know if you've played dishonored 2 but um there's a there's a part in dishonored 2 that feels like it's very much referencing those robots where the creator of these robots has recorded a bunch of default commands yeah (laughs) Yeah, and it it has the same sort of vibes i mean of course dishonored 2 is influenced by thief but uh, i i thought that was quite quite cool um I think that the thing that stands out to me, I think which you've kind of alluded to, is that this game, like even though its main central story thread might be a bit lacking, where it really excels is those small details. And I've always believed that when it comes to environmental storytelling and creating a real world, it's the small details that sell the larger picture. And there are multiple times playing this game where I found a small detail that brought a smile to my face. Like there's a part in shipping and receiving where you find a note hidden in one of the art galleries where one of the pirates is talking about, you know, there's this um, police officer following us around. Can I just kill him? Get him off our backs? When you go into their Mm. ship, there's a there's a crate and inside the crate is a police officer with a knife through his chest yeah <laughs> and it, it's a small one but in the police station level i was you know oh, that's, this, is this the one is this the one where there's desks like uh it's the bit yes. where all the police sit down and they do their paperwork and then yes. like scrunched up on the floor by one of the chairs there's this note that just says kick me on yes and specifically <laughs> a scrunched up piece of paper um also on that level you see um the the lady who you know how you how you helped the guy rescue the maid from the mansion you can find yes. the um the lady of the mansion filing a police report for the kidnapping of her maid and it's uh yeah. it's quite funny but <laughs> but the thing is it seems small like it it seems like something There's like so that much shouldn't of it, matter though. but yeah when you have all these details it just does so much to bring a world to life and i think thief 2 does an excellent job in that regard yeah, oh, it's way better than the first game, even, I think. Uh, the environmental storytelling here is probably some of my favorite, hands down. Mm. Um, it does make a lot of reference to characters from the first game without making it seem like, uh, I don't know, uh, like you need to know what's going on. There's all sorts of, like, stupid conversations um, you can, you know, find way more than in the first game. Like, I remember... You know, in the level, I think it was life, life, of, life the of the party. Yeah, there's this level where you're you're creeping. So the level takes place on these rooftops, 
um, and you're like you're trying to get to this this location at the end. And while you're going across the rooftops, there's this open window you chance upon, and there's this like there are these rich people in there complaining that they didn't get invited to the party. <laughs> and it's so funny. They're just complaining like absolute children. Um, and then when you finally get to the you know the place of the party, you kind of find this guest list, and that guy's name is on the list, and it's like question mark did he not get the letter <laughs> it's so good it also, does that the, um, all throughout the game the, the the two sets of guards having the arguments on the rooftop of insulting yeah. each other's lord and lady and they end up getting into a fight it's just it's just brilliant to sit back uh yeah so so that's basically we're both we're both pretty high on the story i think i think compared to thief one I think Thief 1 does a better job of having like a central thread. The the main the main story is is stronger because it's very simple. You know, you are doing thief stuff, you do this mysterious, you know, thing, get the sword, then you get the big quest, which is, you know, get this eye and you have to get the sport four special gems to get the eye. Then you get betrayed and have to take your revenge. Thief One has better flow, yes, um, and the levels interconnect to each other more naturally. Yes, but by far, I prefer Karis as a villain than I did the Trickster, and by far, do I prefer the world building here? Yeah, I think um, I think the Trickster was ultimately underdeveloped, which is the problem. Karis is a much more human villain, even if he does go insane by the end. And I agree with you that the world building here is on a level far and above um thief gold although before before I, I know we've been talking about story for a long time but i do want to take a quick moment before we move on to the gameplay to talk about this concept of atmosphere because while sure. while thief 2 to me has far better environmental st storytelling and overall that does produce the better atmosphere for me I think that there is something to be said for Thief 1's horrifying atmosphere. This feeling of disquiet and I, I often felt unsettled playing the game. And I think that a large part of that is that the levels were kind of like mysterious and unhuman. You know, you were where mm. you didn't belong. And I, I think that there's one level in Thief 2 that really replicates that. But... I want to say, right? yeah, Trail the forest, yeah. Yes. But but I want to say that even though I think that Thief Two does the environmental storytelling better, I think that the fact that I think Thief One produces a unique experience different from Thief's Two and produces a very different kind of atmosphere, and I think that is a value regardless. I, I don't think it's as simple as Thief Two is, you know, Thief's Two atmosphere is better than Thief's One. Because Thief One needed to exist so that Thief Two could transform into this like industrialized sort of society. You needed to see what was lost in the transformation. I was thinking about this because ultimately mm. I kind of regret recommending Thief One because ultimately I didn't enjoy the majority of the game. However, should I tell people that Thief 2 is great and that they should just play that? No, because you can't appreciate how good this game is unless you play that first game. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can probably appreciate it from a mechanical point of view, but Thief 2 is a far more holistic experience. The 
environmental storytelling is just as important. It relies as the so much on the first game and the differences between it and the first game. It really, really digs in on that. You know, the the world as it's evolved, and it's really cool to see how it's changed. But yeah, so we've gone on about story for about forty minutes now. So I think it's time for a a quick music break, and then maybe we can get into some gameplay discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am going to go first, and my favorite song. Um, was from the level that we just spoke about, Trail of Blood. Trail of Blood is probably my favorite level in the game purely for, you know, its dripping atmosphere and its sense of unease that we already discussed. Uh, Its level theme does a lot to enhance that with this really, like, outer world kind of atmosphere um, as you, you know, you go traveling through a couple of really strange locations. Um, So here is Trail of Blood. That was Trail of Blood. Patrick, how did you feel about the music? I thought it was pretty pretty similar overall to the quality in Thief 1 with a couple of, you know, tracks that I liked more than the rest. So I think Thief 2's soundtrack is very good. It's still very atmospheric, which is exactly what you want from this kind of game. As I've said before, in with stealth games, you don't want a bombastic soundtrack because you need to concentrate on noise so carefully you need to be tracing those footsteps through a door as that as you know people are patrolling around and i think thief 2 does a very good job it's a good soundtrack i will say this is one area where i think thief 1's clearly superior to thief 2 to me i think uh thief 1 has a better atmosphere a more haunting atmosphere a creepier atmosphere and i think a large part of that is due to the soundtrack And after listening to them both side by side, I think that while Thief 2 has a few brilliant tracks, Thief 1 is basically all bangers. And it feels strange using bangers to refer to a Thief (laughs) 1 track. But I think that Thief 1's tracks are consistently excellent, whereas there are a couple here which are just unremarkable. So very good soundtrack, but 
I prefer Thief ones. Okay, fair enough. Um, did we want to get into the level design then? Yeah, time for us to get to the um, the meat and potatoes of this. The nitty gritty, uh, the yeah. bit that we always want to get to. Well, I mean, this this is not a simple category. So, um, so where do we start? So, I guess the thing that sticks out for me the most about Thief's Two level design is that it is, in general, a lot more consistently enjoyable but it takes a lot fewer risks with its level design. Um, I think in kind of like a reaction to the first game and people, you know, the levels that people said they liked from the first game, like the Opera House and uh, Baffert's Manor, that kind of thing, they went to, uh, they played it very safe this time. There's lots of, lots of regular thieving missions going into buildings and just sneaking around corridors and much less of the kind of missions where, you know, you're going down into these monster caves and that kind of weird stuff. So ultimately, I think that the level design for me personally was a lot better. I more consistently enjoyed it throughout the experience, although I do have a couple of issues um, with it that I'd like to get into later. I'm not sure if I'd use the term less risky. I think that these levels show a level of sophistication that Thief 1 lacks. Uh, I think that, that there is less variety. You know, they haven't you know, tried to produce vastly different experiences, but they have changed and improved and refined the level design in a whole bunch of ways to produce uh, different flavors to the feel of sneaking around these mansions and buildings. And I think that there are differences from level to level. I think that there are some notable levels that are weak and boring, but the levels that are good are masterpieces and I am not exaggerating when I think that they would not be out of place in modern takes on this stealth level design they're just that good there's about three which I think are brilliant I don't know if I'm that high on them almost all of the levels in the game I enjoyed compared to you know only six of 15 of the last one mm. um, but I do have my criticisms of each of them um, so Patrick which was your favorite level okay so it's it's actually uh, between two for me, and then I've got a bunch a bunch that are very close. So I think my favorite level out of all of them was the um, was the level at the police station. That was my favorite. Me level. too. Me too. That was my favorite level. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. So the thing that I liked about the police level is that it wasn't very linear at all. You could approach it in a couple different ways. And B, it wasn't too large, which is a trap some of the later levels fall into. Um, so with the police station, your goal is to break into, you know, this police officer's office and drop some incriminating evidence, both in his office and in the, the evidence vault to kind of imply that he stole some missing evidence that actually you stole instead. Um, and I think that the level design here is really good because you can't just like mindlessly proceed in a direction and hope to end in your goal. You kind of have to read through your map. You have to read clues around the office and really figure out how to get to where your destination is. Um, a problem that I have with a lot of the levels in this game is that there are these sections of level that are essentially... Uh, a, like a three-story building where each story is very similar 
and you proceed through the floor in almost exactly the same way by, you know, you'll go down this corridor, there's a bedroom on your left, you go into the bedroom, you look around, you leave, you go to the next room, you go to the next room, you go to the next room, and you just like proceed through the level in this really boring systematic way. Um, my favorite levels are ones that have avoided this boring linear gameplay, um, and the police station absolutely did that. And so the thing about the police station level is not only were there lots of different ways to go through it, it was yes. a chock full of all these cool secret passageways that required you to do some pretty tricky searching to find them. My favorite one was the one above the police desks as I was screwing around climbing on things I found a switch that had a fantastic secret and the other thing which was very fascinating about it was that you had to ghost your way through it. yes you couldn't knock out the guards so there's a thing in this game where I think the most enjoyable way to play this game is probably to ghost mm. to not knock out anyone but there's a problem you see when you play these games for the first time, I want to explore. I want to go to every nook and cranny. I want to rob everyone. I want to read everything. And that because of that, I'm encouraged to like black, you know, black, black everything guards. so you can explore so, unfettered. So yeah. I can freely, yeah, so I can explore unfettered. So I'm not going to deliberately not use my blackjack for the overall superior gameplay experience but when i was playing this police station level and i had which was designed around ghosting and i had to get through without knocking anyone else it was a really fun experience yes. like i really enjoyed the challenge of having to sneak around and sneak past guards without just you know eventually blackjacking 30 guards wandering <laughs> around one by one so yeah I, I think that that was that was a great level speaking to what you said james I completely agree, and I've actually got this written down as a note. The problem is symmetry. Yes. I don't think the problem is... It's, it's repetitiveness, uh, right? Casing a joint. Well, it's it's repetitiveness in the sense that it feels like you're doing the same thing over again in samey kind of rooms. Because one of the levels I'm very high on is the second level in the game, shipping and receiving. And I think in shipping and receiving you kind of have a very methodical way of going through, you know, the 10, the 10 uh, shop fronts inside this big warehouse, but it doesn't have the issue of repetitiveness because each and every shop front has something mechanically unique to it or interesting to it that separates it from the last. I actually disagree. Um, my biggest problem with that level is that it's too long by maybe like... because So the idea of this level is that there are these warehouses with these big mechanical uh, doors and only one of the doors can be open at any given time. So what you need to do... Um, you need to go and you need to enter the keypad combination for door one and then you go into warehouse one and then you do the same for two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine. And by the end of the level, I was kind of bored, honestly. Like, even though inside each of the warehouses is very different, like, the repetitive process kind of grinded on me. Like, if it was two warehouses shorter, I think I would have liked it a lot more. Um, but it's definitely not the worst case of this in the game, which I think... Before before we talk about... I know what you're going to talk about. But before we move on to that, let me, let me reply. I think the other reason I really loved shipping and receiving was that it was the 
it kind of had so many clues to the story coming up because you had the inventor's workshop that had bits and pieces of the technology that you were going to encounter. You even see one of the robots kind of like in a crate with a little bit of a crate chipped out so you can just see its eye. You see the person who has the musician who's invented the recording technology that he stores his music on. I, I think that if it was just shop front after shop front after shop front, then yes, it would be repetitive. But I was getting all these clues to the nature of the world. So I've, I found it really fun every time I opened up a new new shop. I do agree with you that the, the, the storytelling that level was quite good. So for me, what makes a really good open level design in Thief is that I want to, you know, find clues about the level that make me open up my map and then beeline to a specific room you know, and then, you know, by putting all these different clues together, make this little path in the level. Um, probably my fa- my second favorite level that did this was Bank, because mm-hmm. the level design is, you know, again, non-symmetrical. And there's lots of locked doors and, you know, doors that are guarded by so many guards and security cameras. You really have to find, like, a very specific path through the bank rather than just, you know, systematically going from door to door to door. So when there's this level of planning and execution required and, like, you know, looking at your map and using all the clues you have available to you, that's when I'm really engaged with the level and I'm really enjoying it, you know. When I can turn my brain off and just, you know, go one, two, three, four, five, that's when I'm starting to, you know, get a bit bored. So I think bank was excellent that that bank level um in some ways it was i think it's the kind of level which you appreciate more on replays of this game because it was did you have that gotcha moment when you got to the vault and you realized it was locked actually well here this is this is the thing about non-linear level design i unlocked the vault first because i um i found a hatch in the floor in one of the offices and i went down and i actually unlocked the vault before before i got to the vault yeah, because i got there and i was like sweet he, and now i can go into the vault and get the loot and i was like oh my fucking god the, i have to backtrack through half the level and i was like i was kind of mad but i was kind of like oh this is kind of cool at the same time the way i play these games is always path of least resistance generally where so i came to the area like there there are a few areas before you get to the vault and it's just crawling with guards and automatons yes. i'm like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explore the rest of the level, then I'll come back to this later. So it worked out in my favor. Yeah, I was hell-bent on getting through that guard room, like that one that was swarming with guards yeah, and there was that tough. like marble floor. Yeah, it was. I, I, once, I found, once I found the route, I felt very, very proud of myself. It was great. I, I, think, I think the other thing that makes Bank particularly good is the verticality of it, because yes. not only are there three floors it's really interesting how those three floors intersect with one another. There's a lot of transferring between different levels in different and interesting ways. The, The reason I think it's better on replays is that once I'd finished exploring everywhere, I could not tell you how it all fits together. It was kind of like too complicated, but it was complicated in a way that was kind of like dense and overlapping and interesting, not in terms of, there's not like the thieves guild from um from Ugh. the first game which was just this sprawling mess of caverns it felt like a real building it's just it was one that was too hard for me to wrap my head around in one go 
Yeah, so levels that I think had the problem I described before are... Casing the joint and masks, right? Casing the the joint, masks, framed as well. And to a lesser extent, life of the party in the second half. Yeah, I, that, I, I agree. Um, sorry, you got framed and um, blackmail mixed up. Framed is a police station level. Uh, black, yeah, blackmail, sorry, is the one I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah blackmail is the one with the gears on the door where, you know, you're trying to blackmail true. Tr- yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're just, each of these levels feels like they're like a four-story building that needs to be three stories mm-hmm. or something like that, where if they just were a little bit shorter... Like, I probably wouldn't have, like, because when you start doing this kind of linear systematic gameplay where it's just, you know, the floor is a circular corridor with rooms, like, for the first, like, 10 minutes or so, you don't really notice, but then it's been, like, 30, 40 minutes of you doing the same thing, and you're like, what's going on here? When does the actual, like, fun start? Yeah, so, James, I actually agree with you. I, I think the problem there is symmetry and repetition. Casing the joint and mass in particular really pissed oh, me off. Because yeah, I... because in theory, there's, like, secrets in the walls, but they are the laziest secrets. They're just in the rooms, there's super obvious buttons that you press and yes. it's just secret corridors that are big, long corridors, you know, behind these rooms. It's the most boring filler mission, and they make you do it twice. Twice? Yes. Yeah, oh, my it's God. Really, it's really I, bad. I think the game takes a bit of a nosedive near the end. I think the final level's okay, but I think that after Precious Cargo, you have Kidnap, which I didn't really like casing the joint and masks which are the same level twice um mm. for some god knows reason like i don't understand why they did that it's just um, yeah it's weird just get rid of one of those missions i well the yeah because effectively you go yeah you go to the the mansion like at night to scout it out before going to it at this party so it's like slightly different but the layout's exactly the same and your presence there in the first time isn't really felt at all like i slashed so many banners and broke so much (laughs) shit the first time i was there and it was all fixed and perfect by the second time and there was barely anything you know mentioning that i'd been through the level or that people noticed something was out of place i think there was an opportunity in this double level for you know a lot of really cool uh time varying environmental storytelling where you know uh servants noticed something missing or something like that there's one instance of it that i found um and you know i don't know i don't like those levels what it feels to me and obviously i don't know what happened it feels to me like they had something more elaborate planned and then they ran out of time because you can imagine the it being like the ultimate test of sneaking around civilians like make it a ghost level and make it so the you know the mansion is crawling with people all here to attend this art exhibit and you have to skillfully weave your way through everyone and steal all the money and it would have been extremely challenging but as an end game challenge it would have been fantastic well in the second casing the joint would have made sense in the second time through there's that bit where you get to sneak through the actual art exhibition and that was fun um Mm. it was a bit of a puzzle but like you're doing the same level twice and there are these cameras in these really annoying spots that make getting through each floor really tedious uh i just i don't know i i really didn't like it honestly the last quarter of the game i think fell off a cliff unfortunately um for me in enjoyment because i didn't like thief one that much 
I was like, this is really fun. I was having a lot of fun because of the refined level design at the start of this game. And then I think the game kind of climaxes in the middle with two really memorable levels that, you know, aren't the maybe not the strongest gameplay, but definitely the biggest set pieces. And then the story just putters out. You go from these really too high, crazy moments to having like you going back to just breaking into this house, and I don't know. <laughs> They're just trying to keep consistent with Thief One's shitty ending. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, it's really disappointing. I, I um I want to talk about so yeah, mechanically, there's one level that probably isn't the best, but I loved it, and it's Precious Cargo. Uh, that mission was the most delightful surprise for me when that screen comes up and you see the submarine. I was like, I had a grin plastered on my face. The bit in the lighthouse, dude, I was not expecting that. Basically, Mm. like, the level, like, I thought I was finished. I thought the level was done. I knew there was something funny because there was this lighthouse and on the bottom floor of the lighthouse, there's a big circular room and there's this, like, this ship, ship wheel that's missing one of the pegs and you're like, okay, this will open a little door. No, the entire fucking floor drops out from you. I was like, holy shit, what is going on? And that, then, that, like, level's, that level's particularly cool. Like it starts off with you you know, in a lighthouse and, you know, it's got that conversation between the ex-Hammerite and the current mechanist. Yes. And there's kind of like that the place has a history and it feels old. And then all of a sudden you get transformed to, you you go to secret submarine base. It's very James Bond-esque, comes completely out of nowhere, but it also just fits. Like it, it doesn't, it takes you by surprise, but you're like, you know what? I can buy this. The entire first half of the level are talking about these pirates that used to be there and then you find their hidden cove in the second half of the level. And I thought the atmosphere with the rain up up top was really mm. great as well. I, it, I overall have very fond memories of it. However, um, the actual gameplay in the second half I found to be much weaker and tedious because it's very spread out and you have to do like a lot of running around uh, trying to fetch stuff. Uh, it just it wasn't as fun to play moment to moment, but I, on reflection, really like that level, even if I wouldn't want to play it again. <laughs> I, I agree with you. Like, uh, it's not the strongest level mechanically, but the story it tells as you go through is is excellent, is very enjoyable. Yes. Should we talk a bit about Trail of Blood? Because I mean, I feel that like that's a similar sort of story. Yes, Trail of Blood is probably um, story-wise, my fa- and atmospherically, my favorite level in the game. Um, I'd say my top three are Framed, Trail of Blood, Precious Cargo are my three favorite levels. Um, So Trail of Blood, um, so I guess we talk about the level prior to it briefly. It's kind of a boboring, shitty trailing mission, which I'm not very fond of, where you're just slowly going behind someone else, walking slowly. Yeah, I'm I'm over trailing missions. I've done done enough of them in my time. Uh, So, yeah, mediocre mission. So you trace um, Morose, yeah. Which, by the way, she has a, she has an interesting story because you kind of get all the hints you need that she's going to rebel against Truart. But it turns out she's been working with the pagans. She leaves a note for them, and you follow the pagan who gets the letter 
through a portal. Did you have this problem near the end of the level where you kept failing it and didn't know why? No, I it, it just worked for me. So basically, she goes to that bit and she drops the letter on the ground. And because I was behind her, I didn't check in there and see the letter and I kept following her. And then, like, I would see this random dude pass by and I keep knocking him out. And every time I knocked him out, the game would end. And I was like, why is this happening? <laughs> so I would James. knock him out and then I'd run past him and keep trying to follow her. So I, I reckon I spent, like, close to half an hour thinking the game was broken. Like, I was close to looking up the level skip cheat um, until, I, like, I realized what, uh, what my... What you were uh, meant to do. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. So you, um, you follow this pagan through a portal into, um, into a dark and mysterious wood. And suddenly for the first time, we're out of the metal age. We're out of the industrial center of the city. Yeah, and all of a sudden you're in this forest, right? Following this blood trail through, you know, this spooky forest into this ruined pagan village where there are these ghosts that keep popping up and showing you, you know, them dying to the hammer or the mechanists rather. And, you know, ultimately resulting in you, like, performing this weird pagan ritual to open a portal into the moor. I guess the equivalent of, like, hell? It's not quite hell. Where the trickster god lives, his home realm. Yeah, and you go through all these realms and, uh, you know, eventually get to the end. But the actual, like, journey through the level is just, like, dripping with atmosphere. I love it. Well, it's also just very poignant. Like I said, the, th the thing that makes, I guess, this transformation to the, to the Middle Age impactful is what it does to nature because you know that's always that's the dichotomy between the pagans and the hammerites it's nature versus you know humanity and progress and in this case we see a clear disregard for nature a clear disregard for the pagans and the way in which progress and industrialization has crushed nature with no concern for the impact on these poor innocent people like children and mothers and innocent people have just been crushed underneath the powerful fists of the mechanists, and you just see the ruins of what's happened. So it's a very powerful moment, um, and it's a very reflective one. It doesn't beat yeah. you over the head with it. It just kind of, as you said, just drips over you. Yeah, again, not one of the strongest mechanically, but here again, the environmental storytelling just like carries it, you know, on its shoulders. So one of the levels that people always hold in high regard is life of the party mm -hmm. which is probably the longest level in the game and i've got to say too long for me i think that this was a good level one of the better ones um, but it doesn't quite stand out as being the best just because it's got some of those gameplay problems that we were talking about before with being too long and a bit systematic near the end. But there are bits and pieces of this level that are truly brilliant, and I do enjoy those, especially um, so effectively you, you, know, you travel across the rooftops of the city to reach one of Karis the Mechanist's strongholds um, where he is throwing like a dinner party or like an evening for the nobility of the city um and they're led through angel watch which is you know this this big stronghold 
and taken to these these rooms that have these um these gramophones in them that have these recordings um of Karis, who you know is a bit of a, a bit of a psycho a bit of a sociopath doesn't like being seen in person but he uh, he gifts these he gifts these servants um to the to the people that end up being those slaves and the kind of the process of following the party through the building and like hearing each of the story bits was really cool i just wish that you know it was a bit shorter I think Life of the Party is like half brilliance, which is everything not an Angel Watch. And then it's kind of an okay mission when you're actually in Angel Watch. But the outside street roof part of Life of the Party is 10 out of 10 superb. Not only are there multiple ways to sneak around and from a level design perspective, it's really interesting and vertical. It's kind of like jam-packed with these little interesting funny stories. Like yes. there's one where you come across two people robbing a place <laughs> while yes. you're a thief as well. There's one where you come across a necromancer's tower and you innocuously read a book and you summon two zombies. My favorite one though is you find this device in an astrologer's house and he has the plan of sending a homeless person to to the stars so he gets this <laughs> explosive device, attaches it to a box, and, and says, all right, let's go. And you can find the explosive device in his house, which you can later use to breach a vault, I believe, although I, I didn't do it that way. But but it's just you're just exploring the city. There's all these windows to sneak in and grab stuff, and it's just jam-packed full of fun and funny stories and conversations to overhear. It's like, and that's the kind of level where I'm like, this could be a dishonored level. Like, Yes, it would look a little bit different, but essentially this could be a modern level. And then you get to Angel Watch and it's just, you know, mediocrity. I am fond of the story portion of Angel Watch. Like, I thought it was great, but the yeah, the level design, I didn't like it at all. You know, as you said, going across the rooftops is super fun. And something that I, re- like, like you enjoyed about it was the contrast. Like, Thief is a very dry game a lot of the time. So when it does have these moments of humor, um, they really stand out. And I do think they did a good job of them in this level, probably more so than any other level in the game. And I think that's what makes it kind of special um, is that this added level of humor and contrast that's in the first portion. Yes, I I agree with that. And a large part of that is that you've got more conversations to kind of eavesdrop on. And there's less of that stupid guard guard voice. You know the one I'm talking about, the real dumb guard that you hear over and over in Thief 1 and I'm just sick of him. He only shows up a few times in Thief 2, which I'm grateful for. It's more mechanists you're dealing with. Uh, Big picture-wise... I think that the reason I like Thief 2's levels more than Thief's 1 levels, and there's a variety of reasons, but the big one that comes to mind is that these places, all the places that these levels take place in, they feel far more real than Thief 1. A lot of Thief 1's levels, even like the good ones, like Song of the Caverns, they kind of fell into the uncanny valley, sort of like uh style and design space rooms were a little bit too big or too small you kind of had these weird rooms segmented with door frames connected to one another in a way that you couldn't really identify what their purpose was for and i think that it didn't do a very good job with open spaces there was a lot of kind of like narrow spaces with walls that constricted 
your pathway through a level. I think Thief 2 dramatically improves on all of these, and they all feel like relatively real places, if a little sparse at times. I agree. Um, The world feels a lot more lived in, I guess, um, and the places make a lot of sense. I just like the fact that the levels, they really honed in on what made the levels good and had levels that fit Thief's mechanics, like the sneaking and the Mm lockpicking and the finding treasure and not focusing so much on, you know, it does lose a bit on the exploration. I'll give you that. It's like three steps forward, one step back in a way. But I think it's definitely for the game's improvement. And like I said, I think that there is value in the two games presenting distinct experiences. I kind of presented this false dichotomy of like which one is better. And yes, you can answer that question, but yeah, it's, thief it's, better, <laughs> it's better that they're both striving to present different experiences than different shades of the same experience. So I like that Thief 1 does something different from Thief 2, even if, like you, James, uh, I tend to prefer the way Thief 2 has done it. Um, should we should we have another music break, James, or is there something else you wanted to touch no, on? Absolutely. Um, and then we can talk a bit about some of the problem I had with the gameplay. Oh, sound, sounds good. So the, um, the one I chose, the song I chose, is Precious Cargo. Um, Precious Cargo has this uh, wonderful transition as you go from the caverns below the lighthouse where it's all echoey up to the surface and you have this wonderful rain rain sort of background sound, which is just perfect. Um, and then finally, as you descend into the, you know, the secret sub base, you get mm. a far more echoey sort of noise. And I just think it that soundtrack did so much to help set the atmosphere of this level in fact i'd say it was critical to setting the atmosphere of the level that it did a lot to um to really sell me on it so this is precious cargo That was Precious Cargo, wasn't it, right, Patrick? We uh, kind of paused because you uh, realized you made a big mistake and weren't recording this episode on your end. That's okay. uh, We've got got our backup audio. People listen uh for the content, not the audio quality, James. We'll get Uh, through. (laughs) uh, Do something right, Patrick. All right, so back to Thief. Um, I have a big criticism of the game's mechanics here, and it's less so a criticism of the mechanics in the game and more so a criticism of the mechanics that aren't in the game. 
mm-hmm. because Thief 2 is very similar gameplay-wise to Thief 1. It's almost exactly the same, uh, in my opinion, which totals both of them together at about 50 hours, give or take. Um, and over the course of Thief 1, you got given stuff like a bunch of different arrow types to use, like water arrows, moss arrows, and lockpicks. Um, which, you know, drastically changed the way that you approach levels. And in Thief 2, they introduce a bunch of different enemy types, but don't really give you any new ways of interacting with the world. And honestly, by the end of the game, I'm not sure if it was just the shitty level design of the last four levels, or also, you know, getting bored of the moment-to-moment gameplay, because... While I had a heap of fun coming back and playing, you know, the first 15 hours or so of the game, I was so sick of blackjacking guards and, like, waiting for patrols to go past and waiting for robots to go past by the end of the game. Like, I just, I've done it so much at this point that it just isn't fun anymore. Um, and even finding loot, um, which is, you know, you you know how much I love just picking up stupid knickknacks off the ground. Um, I do. By the end of, by the end of, um, life of the party because i'd already found all the loot i needed before i got to angel watch like i hit this point where i was like why do i care about any of this shit like it lets me buy a couple more water arrows at the you know the next start of level like i don't know it just it wore thin because the game doesn't introduce enough new mechanics on top of what was already there i think that is a fair criticism there's not a whole lot more on the surface most of the changes come as a result of the level design yes what is substantially new i guess are the security cameras which um which cause you you know you can sneak past them you can run past them or you can find that power source and turn them off you have the automaton robots which you can disable with your water arrows so you've kind of been given some extra utility to deal with them in that fashion Although most of the time it's easier just to sneak past them um, than, you know, take them out. But if there's a troublesome one, you can deal with it. There's a new type of rope arrow that's almost exactly the same. Exactly the just, same? Yeah, yeah, it can. it's it's very lazy. So it can attach to an additional surface like these metal grills. Great. But, but there's no reason those grates couldn't just be wood patches. So Instead. I don't even count. I don't even count that as a new feature. And really, that's it. The the other big mechanical change, which is like, it doesn't really feel like a mechanical change. It feels like a bug fix in a lot of ways, is that in Thief 1, your movement and momentum with jumping and bunny hopping is fucking ridiculous. Like, it's yeah. broken. <laughs> the, you can do these huge leaps. Even, even without bunny hopping, your forward leap momentum is absurd, and it lets you get across like from safe surface to safe surface and do these wild leaps to get blackjacks on guards and stuff probably unintentional but your mobility is ridiculous and thief thief 2 feels like this is what they were intending when they first made the game (laughs) and as a result of that i was using things like moss arrows a lot more than i felt the need to in thief 1 i don't know if you you were doing yeah, that, James? Yeah, I used or... Moss Arrows a bit more, but I still was... Honestly, I was still sprinting and jumping a lot because, like, the guards, you notice they have this, like, this big grace period. You can just fucking sprint at them from behind and blackjack them. 
um, before they notice you so many times. Like, I wasn't moving super slow around the levels, but I don't know. It just kind of, it just kind of wore thin on me. All the fun stuff that they add to the game, like the robots and the cameras that look around, it's very front-loaded. Like, everything new is there from the beginning, and then they don't add a whole lot. As you said, what they do, they do mix up the game with the level design a little bit, but, you know... Mm-hmm. Near the end, it done and seen everything. There's only so many guards I can sneak past or knock out before I want something new. The thing is, James, I kind of agree with you. And, I mean, it shocks me to say it as a person who supposedly loves this sort of stealth thing. <laughs> but I think that... the Okay, so here's the thing. Here's, here's the note I've written. Thief 2 is both... The guards and their stealth detection mechanics are both too easy and too difficult at the same time. So when I was playing Thief 1, this was less of an issue for me, but the more and more I played this game, the more it started to irritate me. When a guard has not detected you, as you said, you can literally sprint up to them on any surface that isn't like tiles or metal and blackjack them in the back and they won't turn around. Yes. Like you can just literally sprint up behind them. However, if a guard has detected you, if you make one footstep on a tile from 30 meters away, or if they see the corner of your foot poking around a pole, they start running at you full pace with their sword. So I think that this is a significant problem with Thief once you've once you understand the limits of this system. And I think the problem is that we kind of talked about this a bit on the Splinter Cell episode, but the problem is you don't have that kind of gradiented movement you do with um, like Metal Gear Solid. Metal Gear Solid has a thing where you need to walk slower the closer you get when sneaking up to someone or they'll detect you. If you try and sprint at a guard, they'll just turn around because you've made a noise. Thief needs that. Thief needs you to transition to a slower move speed as you get closer to guards to make it more challenging. There's like this hidden slower move speed than crouching where you like tap- oh, stutter stepping. Yeah. Yeah, it's like stutter stepping because if you like if you t- if you hold forward for like a second, you'll make a footstep. But if you tap forward and then stop, it'll reset. So like if you just keep tapping forward, you'll inch forward very slowly, but apparently you're floating on the ground and you don't have feet. Um, so I used that in a lot of spots where I really didn't want to be heard. But yeah, I, you know it's what? Kind of jank. It might even I don't know, but it might even be intentional. When you're um when you're doing the bank level, you can read a note like there's a tip from someone who tried to rob the bank and you know went to jail and stuff, and the tip says. You know, the problem with trying to rob the bank is the bloody tiled floors. It's impossible. Yes. But the note also says, if you go slow enough, they won't be able to hear you. So I don't know if that is saying that stutter stepping is a legitimate technique that they want you to use or not. It's 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 kind <laughs> of it's kind of odd because you do make a noise even when you creep. But yeah, I I just think that there needs to be, it needs to be more difficult to sneak up behind a guard and blackjack them and once you've realized you can just run up to them with impunity the game becomes very easy i think the other problem is as i said when you do get detected you're kind of fucked like it's it is you press so the reload hard. button well yeah th- there were a couple of points particularly on the level where you revisit the lost city kidnapping where i got myself into spots where 
the the guards and the mechanists weren't losing their alert state and I was in this really awkward spot <laughs> and every time I tried to take a footstep they would just immediately detect me as really frustrating I I just think that they need to lower that a bit and make it you know and make it more challenging when they haven't detected you and I think that would improve the experience as someone who's played you know as you said 50 hours of this game now, I, I think that it's just a little too easy to sprint up behind people. I I think, you know, the kind of cheaty solution is just when I play this game again is just to ghost my way through and just not blackjack anyone, and that will give me the challenge I crave. I wish the difficulty settings let you made, make ghosting, like, a requirement. Mm. Like, I remember praising the difficulty of this game in Thief 1, but here I actually really hated it because... My biggest problem with a lot of the later levels is that they were too long and they outstayed their welcome. Uh, upping the difficulty doesn't make the guards any harder to deal with or make more guards or harder placements. It just means you have to get more loot, which means making the levels longer. Honestly, near the end of the game, I started playing it on normal because like, I was having way more fun like not having to stay in this level looking for useless trash for longer. You what know? a casual. It's just as, it's just as hard, right? Like, yeah. I, can, I, I can find all that extra loot if I want, but I'm not like forced to stay here, and it, you know I don't know. It wasn't easier. So I know we're in mechanics, but there, I think that we do need to spend some time talking about the very final mission of the game, um, sabotage of yeah. Soulforge, because this is a mission that's like I've been thinking about. Like, how do I feel about this mission for a very long time? So I've sabotage been thinking Soulforge, about it for like an hour. Oh no! <laughs> I, so, so I have extremely mixed feelings about this. So Sabotage at Soulforge sees you do, it's basically in two parts. You assemble a contraption um, that you need to, you know, bring all of the servants back to the stronghold of Karis. And then you need to activate a bunch of relays to recall the servants now that you've assembled this contraption. So the first part of the level is pretty straightforward. The second part of this level is balls to the walls hard. I, I know I've been spending yes. all this time complaining it's too easy. This level is the ultimate test of your abilities, and it tests your abilities in ways that you haven't really been tested. They're the huge open areas with very little cover, an endless supply of patrolling automatons that you can't deal with with your water arrows because you've got, like, 14 or something and there's like 50 of them and it's a huge labyrinth of these big massive factory areas where i think i settled is that i think that the moment to moment mechanical sneaking is really strong the level design the big bloated sort of level design is shit doesn't make a lot of sense does it what, what do you mean makes sense it's like the layout sense. it's a, so you're in a cathedral it doesn't feel like a cathedral it feels like a bunch of like this is the level where the level layout makes the least sense in my mind like yeah it, it transitions to factories like it's just endless factories kind of stapled together 
Yeah, it's really weird. I, I did enjoy the first part of the level because you've got to get all this, this material and then use this material on these different machines to make different parts, which you then combine together with other machines. You're like traversing around the level to find the machines and the parts to make this device. Um, and it's really unique and I, I quite enjoyed it. Um, there, I think there's some difficult used... sneaking required as well, like to get yeah. around all the automatons. Yeah, I thought that was fun. And then like... I had to look up a walkthrough. It was too maze-like. I couldn't find stuff at all. I don't know. I, I kind of agree with you. I like I liked the first half of it, and then the second half um, wasn't as good. My biggest disappointment with the level um, is that actually, you know, the main villain of the game, Karis, is in this level, and you can walk up to him and talk to him through this glass, and he doesn't really say much considering, you know, this is you meeting. I know he talks to you a lot yeah. over the over the voice but it seemed a bit anticlimactic well yeah i i think that like i don't know what what i what i expected but it just feels to me like it's the opposite of like the bank level the bank level was like this dense interesting interconnected level that was very challenging to sneak through this was kind of like broad and spaced out and the way it all fit together really didn't didn't really do anything for me I wasn't getting lost because it was maze-like. I was getting lost because it was so bloody big, (laughs) which seems ridiculous. (laughs) But yeah, it kind of stretched the boundaries. But that being said, I think that if you chuck me in a random room and you give me a specific task, I enjoyed the process of trying to find the hole in the patrol routes because it was challenging and interesting. It's just it didn't fit together very well for me. No, I completely agree with that. I did want to make a note of talking about the visuals. So I think Thief 1 is but ugly. Like, I I think, like, there's all these stretch textures and the maze-like level design doesn't help. Thief 2 isn't, like, a beautiful game by any stretch, but I think they've gone a long way to improving the visuals, making them more elegant and refined. Like, when I'm in the bank, I believe I'm in a bank. Yeah, I think it's the visual direction that sells it a lot better mm-hmm. this time around. Um, I, I do, like, I really liked the lighthouse and the way that the light played with the, the rain, and uh, it was nice. Like, I enjoyed some of the level design, even though, you know, a lot of it looks pretty dated, but the atmosphere and the visual direction do end up, you know, carrying it through. And I got to say, overall, I thought it looked fine. Yeah, something like the uh, rooftop parts of Life of the Party, as mechanically impressive as they are, and, you know, as good as the level design is, a bunch of buildings is not, like, a bunch of brick yeah. buildings, the outside of them, it's it's just kind of bland and uninteresting. Yes. But um, when you get to those more elegant areas, I think it does a pretty good job. Absolutely. So, Patrick, did you want to give us your final verdict for Thief 2? I do. And for this, um, we'll also pose the question, you know, which one, which is better and did it improve? Although I think it's pretty clear pretty how we both at feel this at point. this point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I think Thief 2 is an excellent game and you should play it. And I think Thief 2 is a better game than Thief 1. I do understand those who prefer Thief 1. But as I said before, I think that the overall improvement in level design leads to a much more enjoyable experience overall. That being said, the existence of Thief 1 is what allowed the existence of Thief 2, and it's better that they both be unique experiences overall. 
Thief 2 just has some excellent levels. As we've said, the last set of levels are a bit disappointing for different reasons, either because they are mechanically symmetrical and repetitive or they just aren't playing to the game's strengths. But you just have a string of excellent levels from the start of the game to about three quarters of the way through that let you stealth around and explore these really cool spaces to your heart's content. The environmental storytelling is excellent. I would, I don't want to go nuts. Like it's not as good as something like Prey or um, or the second Deus Ex game in Prague. Like those are probably the highlights of that kind of style. But it's very good, and it, it definitely it definitely served as the inspiration for those games. Um, Thief Two was superb. I'm actually eager to play it again, although time is always an issue. And I really want to try um, a Ghost playthrough from start to finish to see how that um, imp- you know challenges me in new ways. Highly recommend. You should play Thief Two, but as James said, play Thief One first. They're best played um, one after the other. It kind of hurts me to recommend everybody to play Thief 1 first, <laughs> um, just because I think that Thief 2 is like 10 times the game that Thief 1 is. It is absolutely head and shoulders above the original in almost every way, in my opinion, um, particularly the level design, which is, you know, um, you know, as Patrick said, up until about three quarters of the way through the game, superb. Um, and then, you know, it hits a few rough patches. The focus on refinement on these levels rather than, you know, trying to, you know, mix it up every other level really helped them to nail down this formula that works for them, works for Garrett's skill set and works for, you know, the the genre. Um, I think they did an excellent job with some of these levels with uh, two really great set pieces in Life of the Party and uh, Precious Cargo midway through. In terms of storytelling, I don't remember the last time I enjoyed a villain as much as I like Karis. He mm-hmm. is just compelling the entire way through. Every time you learn something new about him, it's like shocking and interesting. And I just loved the religious themes and imagery all throughout the game and highly recommend Thief 2. Okay, so I think that wraps it up. Uh, both of us highly recommend Thief 2 uh, with a reluctant recommend for Thief 1 to be played first by James <laughs> and a hearty recommend for both of the games from me. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening to us rant on about Thief 2 for as long as we have. Uh, we are the Retrospectors podcast. My name is Patrick Arthur, and I was joined by James Turlings. If you'd like to support the show, you can find all of our content on our website, rspodcast.net. Not only are all of our episodes there, um, but also a bunch of articles that we've written about games, both old and new. You can subscribe to us with your podcast app, or you can listen to us on Spotify, whatever suits. Most importantly, we would love if you would come and join our text-based Discord server. I mean, the thing is, James and I, more than anything, enjoy talking and arguing about video games. So if you have any thoughts on this episode, if you have any thoughts on Thief 1 or Thief 2, if you have any recommendations for new games or any criticisms of the way we've covered these games, we would love to hear them and we'd love for you to join the conversation one way or another. Um, So that concludes episode 47 on Thief 2 time to think about what we're doing for next fortnight so james what game are we playing for episode 48 so i don't actually have a very good reason for picking the game that i did i just was going down the list of games that we you know have in our backlog 
and thought, you know, we haven't done like a, a Metroidvania-style game in quite a while, in probably since, uh, you know, back in episode four. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to play Super Metroid, which is a game that I have heard from many, many people as being truly excellent. Patrick, do you have any experience with it? So my main experience with Super Metroid comes from watching people do speedruns on Speed Demo Archive. and Sorry, not Speed Demo Archive on um, those, you know, ADCQ, Games Done Quick things. And I'm very interested to see what how good the game is because I got to say my impressions going in are pretty negative. It seems like Ooh. the, from, from what I've seen, the movement and combat looks really clunky. I've never played these games. I've played, you know, Hollow Knight's one of my favorite games of all time and I was very high on Castlevania. But from what I've seen, I'm skeptical. That being said, I'm eager to give it a go because this is obviously the progenitor of the genre. But I just want to let you know, I'm going in with shields up. I'm not going in expecting a masterpiece. I'm going in expecting to have to fight against the controls, not not fall in love <laughs> with it. But I hope to be proved wrong, and I hope it's as great as everyone says. Yeah, me too. I, I haven't really played the series either, so hopefully it ends up being, you know, Almost as good as uh, Thief 2, and then uh, <laughs> and then I'll be happy. So uh, until then, see you next time. See you later, guys.